This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. Joining me for episode 356, Two Children Lost in the Snow, Nick White. Hey. And Kate Lamphere. I'm just out here making snow angels. Oh, boy. Uh, Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about winter and all of the cold things that are happening here in this month of January. But before we get into things, I want to remind everyone that next week's episode is the IRCB annual, the eighth annual for this show. I can't believe that I'm saying that out loud. Get your asses ready. It's going to be a wild ride. It's going to be me and Danny and Paul and Kate. And we're going to be recording and broadcasting the episode live on YouTube and Twitch, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on January 22nd. Do not miss it. We usually record these episodes on Sundays in the afternoon. This time we're recording at Sunday on Sunday at 8 p.m. It's going to be insane. Show up on YouTube, show up on Twitch. There'll be links in the show notes for this. Make sure you're subscribed so that you get notifications and reminders and all that stuff. But I'm going to be putting up a challenge. Which is the better audience, YouTube or Twitch? We'll find out on Sunday. But anyways, make sure to email us some stuff if you want it read live on the show with within some reason, uh, comic recommendations, reviews, things you want to shout out about what you thought of the last year of IRCB, anything, your thoughts on the X-Men, I'd love to yell and scream at you about that. IRCBpodcast at gmail.com. And one last announcement, the 2023 reading challenge starts in February. So get ready for that. And if you're a $5 or higher patron, make sure that you send in your recommendation, the book that you want to put on that list, because I sent you a message you should have gotten and make sure you reply to me about that. But let's get into things. We're here to talk about comic books. So I have two legally mandated questions to ask you, and that is how have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Nick. Uh, things have been good, uh, if not a little weird. Uh no snow haven't had snow for a while right all that blizzard snow probably went away like within a week so um you know it's it's just that perpetual state of fickleness in michigan where uh there's either no snow and you're upset about that or there's just too much snow uh and you just don't want it so um you know just uh True, true to the human, you know, nature of of eternal fickleness. Um, right. I, I did want to point out that Mike forgot to mention earlier uh, that he will be giving away uh, a PS Five as part of. Oh, uh, hold on, our, Nick, hold on. Our... <laughs> the, the one thing and... that I did actually forget to mention is that we have a listener survey but i'll talk about that when i talk about my books and a new chevy bolt mike's giving away <laughs> a new chevy. nick pick one or the other one is actually believable the other yeah. is not okay the other is a ps5 yeah. you the listener <laughs> you the listener decide which is the most believable mike's gonna take a picture of one of those carvana towers and you just uh blindfold you and you throw a dart at it and whichever car it lands on <laughs> that's yours um sure sure okay there we go glad we got that sorted it's it's gonna be great um and there won't be any litigation uh following it from from these claims beyond that in terms of what i've read uh one book that i do want to talk about is uh spy supreme uh this oh my goodness getting all my spy books wrong here this is spy superb number one uh written uh art letters all by matt kent it's a very matt kent operation uh, with colors by his wife, Charlene Kent. Uh, for those unaware, this is the creative team that brought you Department H, also at Dark Horse, uh, that ran from 2016 to 2018. Uh, but the team is returning, this time under Kent's Flux House imprint, uh, which was announced last July and launched its first series, Mind Management Bootleg, during the same month. What's kind of interesting about Flux House is that to my knowledge, they've only done two books since it launched, and both books, Mind Management Reboot and uh, Spy Superb, 
are basically Kent revisiting probably his two best known kind of like indie creator series. Although, you know, uh, mind management really wasn't indie. It was a dark horse. It just looked indie, right? It had, I mean, Matt Kent's art always sort of feels like it has an indie aesthetic. Matt, I love your work. I'm not backpedaling here, I swear. But it's it's just interesting that he's sort of going back and revisiting these and the products that he's creating now. They're not really prequels. They're not really sequels. They're not really reboots. Both, both of these two new series kind of exist within the canon of the old franchise, but there's enough time and distance between the original franchises and the new ones that it's just a, you know, a good jumping on point. And uh, as someone who <laughs> didn't manage to finish either of those two original series, uh, I can tell you it's a good jumping on point because uh, I haven't gone back. That I was going to say that was the one question that I had about these, because I always feel like I can't try more Matt Kent stuff until I read all of mind management. Like that's just a rule that I have in my head. But to know that these are not connected is actually a good thing, <laughs> or at least slightly independent enough to that you don't have to have finished the previous like mind management or super spy runs. Exactly. Like without getting into it too much, there are like uh, like a big large scale. There's a large scale event that happens at the end of mind management, and that sort of sets up the setting for mind management bootleg. But it's been a couple decades. Anyway, um, like I said, it's it's both are really approachable, and I think. There's more editorial control, uh, and I feel like Kent is a little more. It's hard to explain. Like I, I love Matt Kent, but he is one of those writers where I feel like <laughs> a little ed- a little editorial control goes a long way. Like sure, if sure. you if you leave some of you know Matt Kent in an echo chamber, and uh, it just uh, some of it just gets a little out there. But gotcha. In in terms of the premise of Spy Superb. Without giving too much away, he says before getting into a long treatise, and and I really don't want to reveal too much of this, but I do think it's really great. Uh, a secret agency has basically developed the perfect spy by recruiting civilians that don't even know that they're spies. So they're just going through their everyday life and going to work or going to the park, and they're inadvertently completing missions without even knowing that they're on one. God, this, um, this this sounds like the ideal job. I wish that I could just go about my day and then it turns out that I did something like that'd be great. Yeah. And you might say, well, how, how does that work? Well, there are some mechanisms in place and you'll just have to read the book to figure out that part. But meanwhile, like all of these rival nations and 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 corporations and factions, they think that the spy, the spy superb is actually an individual. They think it's actually one amazing spy doing all of this when really it's it's civilians which sure. um works perfectly um because like you sudden you're you're you have people who can't betray anyone and they can't give anything away because they don't even know that they're a spy right 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 so it's the perfect plan and it works for a long time until the most recent spy ends up dead before making this data pickup and the data pickup contains the list of all past and future spies. Of course. Of course course. it does, of course. Um, So anyway, the agency moves on to this new guy named J. Bartholomew III uh, as their, quote, most, our our next, like, most useful idiot. And uh, the quote for J. at the beginning is that J. is, quote, 
making the final push towards finishing my new novel. Yep, he's that kind of guy. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Jay, like, yaks the barista's ear off about how genius his book is, but then he won't leave a tip. He describes his work to a friend as Proustian, but then admits that he hasn't actually read any Proust. Um, He says that the biggest concern about his book is that its layered meanings are such that it will be overlooked in my lifetime. Yes, Jay is one of those kind of guys. Mm -hmm. And um, it's uh, Matt Kent sort of got at this in an interview he did with Hollywood Reporter. He says, uh, in Spy Superb, I wanted to explore a character, uh, the idea of a very average person who is under the belief that he is utterly exceptional. Uh, he told uh, The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, he says there's a scientific term for this, the Dunning-Kruger effect, uh, a person who ins- insists that they possess knowledge and skills that they obviously do not. Uh, what if a super spy was suffering from this? Uh, well, of course, they would be, um, you know, a spy superb. So uh, it's almost <laughs> like if you've seen the Pink Panther movies, or if you've seen <laughs> Inspector Gadget, right? Where he's like, sure. he's like inadvertently dispatching everyone, uh, but he's definitely not trying to do it. Like, mm-hmm. um, he's like looking into his fridge to, you know, see what to eat. And as he swings the fridge door open, there's like an assassin hiding in his house and the fridge door smashes the guy in the face and he right. like gets Mr. knocked Magoo. out. Yeah. 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 Mr. Magoo would be another great example. Um, so... I mean, it's 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 really, really funny. This guy is like so obsessed with like his novel and that he's like this genius and like all of these assassins are like trying to murder him and inadvertently, like I said, like it's it's still working out in his favor. And you're still thinking like, well, how is this happening? Like, how is this working out exactly the way it does? And again, like there are mechanisms at play here that you just got to read the book because there's sort of a in a Matt Kent corporations tinfoil hat like uh sort of way like it's semi-grounded in it weirdly and sure sure i you know i i just had a lot of fun with it i'm I'm glad when you told me that this came out and you were like this is this was a, a great read i was like this is the this is the matt kent effect this is nick there's like a bias here right already with matt kent books but but your description here is selling me on actually picking this up now i did make a rule for myself as i told you before that i'm only picking up matt kent books in trades now because i can't i can't do the month to month with him like i did it with department h and i love that book but boy was it way better on the reread in the collections Mm -hmm. because it just it hits like that 24 hour cycle 24 issues is so much more there's so much better executed in a graphic novel format so um either way i'll probably wait on this but it sounds like it's a it's a fun romp so um that's good to hear really good to hear yeah like they sort of struck a compromise i think obviously I'm sure Kent would have preferred to have this released as an original graphic novel. Sure. Um, but instead, it's releasing as a trio a trio of oversized issues. So it's like interesting. a 50-page okay. issue, a 50-page issue, a 50-page issue. Would you say that justifies the $8 cover cost? Because I saw that at the shop, and I was going to yes. pick it up because it's the yes. number one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That that is why the issues are 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 expensive. Is that they're like it's like a fifty six page issue. You didn't answer my question though. <laughs> is it is worth it? Just, it? Is it worth it? Is it worth yeah. eight dollars? Okay, okay, okay. I mean, would I argue against a one hundred and seventy page graphic novel being twenty four dollars? Probably not. I'd probably hope for the twenty dollar range. But like, I get it. I get it. I get it. Um. 
that's a yeah. that's a bigger discussion beyond what we're we're saying here. How about how about this, Kate? How have you been? How have comics <laughs> books been? We're gonna move on before Nick and I get into a deep dark debate about this. <laughs> I've been good. Uh, new year, new reading challenge, new reading goal. Um, mm-hmm. I I have a lot of work to do <laughs> regarding my reading now, <laughs> and I started. Wait, wait, wait. Have you set yourself up for failure? Are these attainable goals, Kate? That's that's the better question. Unknown. Are we talking about the reading challenge or is this just getting really personal now because it feels like... <laughs> I read uh, In by Will McPhail. I actually checked this out back in early December. I read it in early December and I've been waiting impatiently to talk about it. So here we mm-hmm. are. I apologize to all of the people at the library that haven't gotten to read this in the meantime because I wanted to revisit it before I talked about it. It'll be back tomorrow. Anyway, <laughs> um, in follows the story of a writer who works uh, like from various coffee shops, goes around and writes at coffee shops, and he helps his mom to paint this townhouse. And most of the story is actually about how he feels like he's not he's always performing for other people. And most of that performance is like the role of like a sad, quiet guy or like doing small talk. And he feels like he's not connecting with people. So he tries to have conversations that are like real connection. And when he does manage this, we don't see the con- conversation that's happening. We don't know what's really what's being talked about, but we see the feeling of that connection. Like the art goes from like this black and white, like like set in the city story to being multiple pages of full color art that like have its own story within those pages. So for example, the first time we see this, um, what we see is like this beautiful mountainscape and the the main character is there and he's exploring with this like, look of wonder and awe on his face and it's just really stunning and like you you understand the feeling that he's getting from having a connection with another person and i can't really say that this story ends happily but it was satisfying (laughs) i don't know how to say that any other way (laughs) um Mm -hmm. but sometimes i feel like you read a book um and, and it feels like it contains more like internal meaning than other media and in this book and by by will mcphail feels like one of those stories and it was definitely worth revisiting um a month after i read it <laughs> mm-hmm. um and like while the story is really good and and the art is really beautiful um my favorite detail of this book is the name of these bars and these coffee shops that the main character goes to so for example you there's the your friends have kids bar or the tired or tired corduroy coffee, um, and then there's this bar that he goes to multiple times, and the font on the sign keeps changing, and the characters actually comment about it. They're like, "Oh, it's Helvetica today." Uh, <laughs> as a graphic designer, this was just this was a joke for me, and I, I was going to say that's <laughs> like like bullseye Kate territory there. Yes. I'm sure, yeah. And I, I've seen like like little little comics by will mcphail online i i must follow him on on instagram or maybe they just pop up on my pinterest or something um and so this was actually i didn't even make the connection this was the same same creator when i grabbed this book out of the library i was just like oversized hardcover it's got some nice art cool i'm in no nothing else about it (laughs) (laughs) and it was definitely the ideal 
you're the ideal like library shopper yeah. i think like that, that is that is what i think every librarian wants to hear is like oh this looks good and then you just dug it home Done. there's no deep dive i love it that's amazing i have so much to say about this book kate i have so much to say about this book i can't even get into it because it's in the best of 2022 episode that's coming out at the end of this month I wrote so many notes. I, I just can't wait to talk about it, but I'm going to save it. I got to save it. Okay. That's going to be on Patreon, right? Yes. That's going to be on our Patreon. Kate. Nice pivot, I will Kate. say I loved all of the, I love this book. Like everybody gave me some really good books for the two, best of 2022 uh, episode that I'm recording. This book by far, I like finished it and I started messaging Kate and I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Like spoilers. I really love this book. I have so much to say about it. It's just Oh, such a fantastic comic book. Oh my gosh. God, I'm really glad that you liked it. I do want to say uh, there, I do have a content warning for this book and you do see some nudity. So uh, just heads yeah, up. Yeah. Yeah. But Will McPhail, oh man, I just the way that this guy draws faces and expressions. I can't yeah. get enough of it. I can't get enough of it. Cool. Well, I'm going to I'm going to step in here. I've been uh, very busy. I've been reading a bunch of our best of 2022 books, um, but I've also been like rearranging a lot of comics like i spent all day yesterday bagging and boarding probably all of the comic books single issue comics that i bought since i moved into my new house which is not a lot but it still was enough for me to go oh damn i need to buy two more short boxes <laughs> uh one for the overflow and one for when i eventually overflow into the next you know book but um, i realized that i was missing some issues which is always a frustrating thing being you set up a pull list at a comic shop and then they don't pull the books for you. And of course I'm not keeping track of any of this cause I'm just buying the books and bringing them home and I'm not reading them because who does that? Who buys books and then reads them. Right. <laughs> so yeah, I do. I had to do some very deep uh, eBay searching and paid way too much money for shipping on some single issue comics that I'm missing. Cause I went to two comic shops yesterday just to go find some of these missing issues um, and couldn't find them as well as some trades that I'm missing um, just because of I, I didn't buy them when they came out, which is a, a fool's mistake on my part. Um, you'll never be able to get me to stop buying Rogan Gambit comic books. But um, anyways, let me talk about a book that I did read, which is Bird King Volume 1. This is written by Daniel Friedman with art by Crom. Um, I do want to say Nick reminded me that this book came out because it was on sale like digitally. And I've been waiting anxiously for this book. I think it was the pick of my uh, top of my pile last week. So very excited to dig into it um but yeah this the art from this book drew me in uh crom's instagram is someone i've been following for a really long time i just like the way that this person draws stuff and then it turns out they had a book coming out which is really cool this is a pretty solid read from beginning to end it's it's dark fantasy it's kind of grim um you know there are these the basics, the premise of this story is that there was once a, a series of great Titan type characters that existed to fight back evils of the world. And they have all disappeared from this, from the, the world that this story takes place in. And suddenly one of them comes back to life after a series of, of happenstances in the comic. I don't want to spoil it because it's really fun, but really I can't express how much Crom's art really sells this whole book. I think if you like the style of Mike Mignola, if you like kind of like a more jagged, almost like cartoony style, you'll really dig this. It's like big, bold strokes creating these larger than life enemies with rich colors that put emotion into every page. Um, stylistic choices to like show the difference between like regular people and like these amalgam like monstrosity people is really cool really terrifying um they do a really good job of using shadow and and blacks to like hide things and create this sense of terror within throughout the story um 
And all, all it comes down to at the end of this is I just want a Bird King tattoo. Like the way that Krom draws skulls is like exactly the type of thing that I want on my body. Like I've got this this Picasso skull that's on my on my arm and I want to get a Mike Mignola skull. And I think I want to get a skull that's like of this guy Krom because it's it's all in the same vein of these like weird, jaggedy, very simple, like simply shaped things, but like beautiful at the same time. Um, yeah, this book is really fun. If you like dark fantasy, if you want to see like the beginnings of a story of someone basically taking a hero's journey or riding on a hero's journey, um, if you like something like Step by Bloody Step, I think you'd like this book as well. Um, and yeah, I highly recommend it. It's a beautiful book. It's short, it's sweet, and it gets right to the point from the get go. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, and just to add to that, um, I believe that is part of Dark Horse's um fantasy sale on comiXology which yeah. goes through january 30th so for anyone who thinks that sounds interesting uh it's available for just four or five bucks right now so yeah. um and again i know i talk about this and then proceed to to do it anyway but even though artists don't like being compared to artists i think um there's definitely some sort of a comparison to be made here with mike mignola and i think yeah. any artist would probably not complain about about mike mignola comparisons and just this the the fiery skulls and the big oversized hulking armor and it's just uh yeah it's 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 a lot of fun yeah if if, if you like hellboy and you're looking for something hellboy adjacent to to tide you over i i, I think this would do it totally agree uh, Nick, what's what's another book you read? So the other book I want to talk about is, well, it says Dead Season. I don't know why. I think Google autocorrected or something. I think that's supposed to be Dead Seas. Dead Seas by um, Kevin Scott. Uh, art by Nick Brokenshire and letters by Sean Lee. And this is one of the IDW original comics. Uh, back in April of 2022, IDW announced that they were going to be launching um, nine original series, and they started launching them last July mm-hmm. uh, with the intent, and I don't know how I feel about this, except it feels a little gross, but the press release was like, after we release these titles, we are going to use the IDW Media Corporation to market these titles towards movies and TV shows. And I'm like, maybe that's the quiet maybe that's the part you just don't say out loud. Like we can all sort of think to ourselves that maybe you're going to IP mine this, but you don't, you don't, you don't need to say it. Sure. That's okay. You can just keep that, keep that part to yourself. Use that, use your inside voice. Right. Um, but this six issue miniseries has a real pulpy seventies B movie feel, both narratively and aesthetically. Uh, and, um, it's it, first off, it's just nice to see Kevin Scott um, and IDW both making sort of original content. And like, that's not a knock against franchise books. I love franchise books. There's plenty of quality franchise books and both IDW and Dark Horse have done a fine job mm-hmm. um, with both. Uh, if you're, f- you know, familiar with Kevin Scott or, or not, um, you're probably at least seen his name on uh any of the Star Wars High Republic books or this the uh, Star Wars Adventure books. I mean, um, or, you know, that time he guessed it on this show when I had a nice little interview with him. You yeah. Know that too. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Listen, I I'm mean. really fucking cool, Nick. All right. And the fact that you won't admit it is pretty offensive right here uh, and now on the show. 
<laughs> Maybe I did this little interview. You've probably never heard of it uh, on this show. You've probably never heard of yeah. with these uh, panelists that you've probably never heard of. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so the premise is is pretty high concept. Uh, you have a band of criminals that get flown out to this freighter like two miles off off the coast, um, and they exist in this you know take on our world where the spirits of the dead have started returning like 10 years ago and of course you know the question becomes how can we monetize this how Mm -hmm. can we monetize this uh spiritual uh you know this infestation of spirits and this uh company called barico industries uh figures out how to trap and eliminate them and yes that does sound like ghostbusters um But then they go, hmm, maybe we can actually monetize this even further. And so they figure out that these spirits, you know, produce ectoplasm. And of course, they discover that ectoplasm has medical uses and it has like weaponary, you know, weapon uses, et cetera, et cetera. And so they start mining these spirits for ectoplasm. But of course, it's a very, very dangerous thing to do and so why not hire people that are criminals that are already in the u.s penal system and make right. them do it so that's fair and our main character gus is one of these uh criminals you know which of course on the flight out he's got the well-worn picture of his daughter and and someone's like oh who's that and he's like it's just my daughter i gotta get back home and all of that and it like it mm-hmm. it really has the trappings of like a it's like a 70s combination of like the 70s obsession with prison genre films and then the 70s 80s obsession with like haunting horror films and it sounds like it sounds like a a a demented twist between con air and ghostbusters (laughs) yeah i mean and like god nick brokenshire's art it like it feels flat and pulpy and Mm -hmm. it just has that perfect tone for that kind of like really old VHS tape that you tell your mom you want to watch Ghostbusters and she's like, we have Ghostbusters at home and it's dead seas. (laughs) And it's like, (laughs) it's, it's, it's made for like one tenth the budget of Ghostbusters in like a third of the time. And you find it and you're like, I, I guess let's watch this. Um, but but, you're, and but I, this is a good thing, right? You're saying this, yes, is, this is compliments. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say, like, I love that. It's like you don't find books like this being made, I think, because people don't realize it's, you know, kind of riffing on that. Um, sure. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 original. It's um, I think it has something to say. Um, without getting too preachy or weighty about, you know, has some things to say about capitalism. It certainly has some things to say about uh, the U.S. penal system, mm-hmm. while at the same time being a wonderfully hacky Ghostbusters ripoff, all the way down to, like, the backpack, proton pack equipment. Basically, it looks it looks like someone was given two days to make a proton pack, and, it like, the backpack looks all right, but the the end of it, looks like a vacuum attachment on the end like it looks like the you know the luigi's mansion right yeah it really does like that it's uh it's great anyone who's looking for something uh, just a little different should check this out cool 
Very cool. Well, I might have to. I might have to check this. I just just was skimming through the preview on Amazon, and it looks looks pretty fun. Looks pretty like like you perfectly described it as like a B movie action thing, and I think that that's that's pretty cool. Real quick before we jump into top of our pile, um, I I did read one other book, which is called When I Was Me. This is a book I backed on Kickstarter a little while ago. It came out from uh, Quindry Press. And the story is it's written by a ton of different artists and a bunch of different writers. And um, because it's an anthology of one page story about like the joyful and euphoric moments of being trans. Um, I thought this was like a really nice book to read overall. Like it really was kind of a palate cleanser from like the action drama, tragedy, horror comic world that I'm typically in. And to see a book about people telling their own personal stories about the things where they were able to finally connect with their like inner person and inner self um, outwardly uh, was really, really nice. Um, the foreword of this book spoke about how many of the stories about uh, trans folks tend to be about adversity and trauma and that this an- anthology was aimed to showcase the moments where creators felt happiness in who they were um, and how they expressed themselves. Um, and even as someone like not part of that community, I found this entire anthology from beginning to end to be super uplifting. People expressing their joy is like um, is really miraculous and I think hard to convey in a lot of stories. And the fact that this was like a series of one page stories, um, it really focused each each individual telling um, to to get out what people were trying to say about themselves. I found it to be really nice to just see how each person experienced joy on their own. And really, I, I, I can't really talk about every single story here because I think each of them deserve their own like focus. So I highly recommend everybody go check this out. You can get this at Quindry Press's website. Um, for a couple of bucks, the digital edition. Uh, but yeah, it's just a really nice book. If you need something that's a little, like uplifting and just nice to read overall. I think this is a really good like auto bio comic that you can sit down and read. Um, so yeah, recommend this. This is when I was me. Um, but yeah, let's let's move on. Let's talk about comics that are on the top of our pile. Um, comics that are new or old or something that we've just been meaning to get to. So I guess just jump back into things. Kate, what's what's on the top of your pile? I'm looking forward to Art Brute number two. This is written by W. Maxwell Prince with art by Martin Marazzo and my, Matt Lopez. And if you've listened to the show for a while, you'll know that I'm not good on uh, keeping on top of current single issue releases. And like I mostly read and trade from the library, usually things that have been out for a while. But I happened to read Art Brute number one and I loved it. And then I had to wait for number two. Insane truly wild <laughs> unacceptable <laughs> um art brute number one was like part murder mystery and part commentary on art and on classic art um and there were some supernatural things that happened in in issue one that left me with a whole lot of questions which which made it a great first issue for me but uh, terrible to have to wait for <laughs> mm-hmm. um and i'm looking forward so i'm re- so i'm looking forward to reading art brute number two but what's gonna happen is that i'm gonna get mad that i'm gonna have to wait for art brute number three <laughs> so I'm kate gonna- finally experiencing like the the month-to-month problem that every comic <laughs> reader has <laughs> Well, like the single lives. issue thing, it's yeah. it's kind of fucked. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad you read this, Kate. I, I I read the first issue too. I thought it was really really fun, and I I think what I talked about it when it came out, like I was so surprised that like a book like this came out from this creative team, if only because Nick and I have um, basically made I read comic books into the number one ice cream man fan podcast. Um, so reading Ice Cream Man and then switching over and reading Art Brute is kind of like it's like day and night for this team, even though some of the same aesthetics and feelings are there, but art brute very much feels like a closer to like a superhero or a, 
like almost like a Doom Patrol type comic, whereas Ice Cream Man is, you know, very, very much not not that. But I'm glad to see that it wasn't just my my bias towards liking W. Maxwell Prince and Martin Morazzo that made me enjoy this book. It's actually a pretty darn good comic book because someone else said that it was. There was something about this book that reminded me a lot of Ice Cream Man, but I couldn't really put my finger on it. And now I understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Same yeah. people. Got it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I was going to say, Kate, like if, if you don't want to wait for the next issue, I think Mike and I have a recommended book that could probably tide you over uh, with a with a fairly similar aesthetic and um uh yeah it's it's interesting though to to think about this book as sort of the precursor to ice cream man as well because yeah, i think yeah um some people aren't aware that art brute actually predates ice cream man they're just re it's uh being re-released uh and it was like some of the art was slightly remastered and i guess the whole book was re-lettered apparently wow. so mm-hmm. Um, I did not know that. Yeah. 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 Um, but Nick, what, what's on the top of your pile? So for me, I think it's got to be this Texas, sorry, not this, that Texas Blood, uh, Volume 3, uh, with a quick honorable mention for Lost Lad London, Volume 3. Uh, what a great, weird little manga that book is. But um, yeah, uh, that Texas Blood, written by Chris Condon, art by Jacob Phillips, um, it feels like it's forever between volumes of this book. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. I looked and I'm like, it, it has been forever. <laughs> volume two came out in January of 2022. Um, volume one came out in January of 2021. So it seems like uh, the collected volumes seem to drop every uh, January. And um, that does mean I'm probably going to have to do a reread of the first two volumes. But uh, for a book this good, uh, you know, I can't. I can't complain. I, I think this book sometimes will get overshadowed uh, by Jacob Phillips' work uh, with his dad and mm-hmm. Ed Brubaker, um, and and maybe this book doesn't get enough love. And I worry that maybe on on some level it's like veering ever slightly into like Lazarus ta- territory, where I bring it up and then n- no one else says they're reading it, and a couple people go, "Nick, it's still going." But Nick, uh, me and Paul are both reading I know. this book. Come on, yeah, come on. Yeah, I mean, okay. Uh, We're the only people that matter, okay? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, my concern is that it's just us three. Like, that's... Right, like, right, right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if, if you haven't read this book, I would definitely say go pick up volume one. It's a little bit of a Western. It's a little bit of a mystery. There's also some, like, supernatural elements going on. Um, there's a little bit of everything uh, for everybody here. And and Jacob Phillips' art is just, um, you know, he's he's really come into his own. Yeah. I mean, in, in Phillips' defense, right, in Jacob Phillips' defense, he did also do the book New Burn with Chip Zdarsky, I think, in between this volume. Like, that, <laughs> that was a six-issue series, right? So if you're getting a volume of that Texas blood every year, at least, like, it's following a good pace, right? Where at least you're, like, getting a volume regularly compared to sparingly, you know, like... Uh, I, I don't know any other examples that I could I could really spit out here, but like still, at least we're getting it semi regularly. Um, and, right. it, 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 and, and honestly, if I can alternate between a volume of New Burn and a volume of that Texas blood, I will be a very happy comic book reader as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely see what you're getting at. Certainly, I mean, and this is both the benefit and the, and the benefit of being a creator who works at Image and the perils of being someone who reads Image books is, uh, <laughs> is my book delayed? Is my book canceled? Is my book dead? Right. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> where is it? Yeah. So you're you're right. If 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 he's delivering on a on a semi regular schedule, maybe we shouldn't. Maybe I shouldn't complain. Yeah. Um, yeah. This could be like a. I think Bitch Planet is probably the best example of this, where oh, there was God. just forever right. amounts of time between issues and volumes, and it's kind of like, is there even any more coming out? Um. And you know, that's unfortunately, I think the book has like it's not dead in the water, but it's definitely in the water floating. Um. Because Kelly Sudikonik said that there may be more coming in the near future according to her newsletter but uh again it's been years since the last volume of that came out so um at least we're not in that bucket and to your point right. about lazarus right like <laughs> lazarus turned into like a, a quarterly book right because yeah. they just wanted a little bit more time to breathe so yeah totally different thing or black magic basically anything that's got greg ruckus name on it is kind of like up in the air <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. And, and greg is so talented that i just can't be mad yeah like, exactly uh, exactly you know um, well, I guess before I get into my pick, I, I've numbered things in our notes so that I don't miss this. I do want to shout out some folks hanging out with uh, hanging out with us on Discord this week. They gave us some books that they are reading. Danny is reading Nightwing 100. I didn't know there was 100 issues of Nightwing to even read. That's cool. And Stephanie is reading Volume 3 of Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, which is a book that is on my to-read list for this year. I'm going to get through the saga of Swamp Thing. So I'm um, looking forward to having that chat with you, Stephanie, on the Discord. Um, but for my pick this week, this is a book... That was, I want to shout out Graham, who sent me an email um, after my call for email recommendations last week. Graham sent me a nice, very long email with a bunch of recommendations, um, but I picked one to start on, and that is Strontium Dog, uh, Case Files 1, which I grabbed from 2000 AD. This is written by John Wagner and Alan Graham with art by Carlos Esquera, which, like, let's all step back and realize this is the Judge Dread team. This is the team that did some of the greatest and biggest judge dead stories that have ever come out. And they did this other story called strontium dog. Now the way that Graham pitched it to me was this, I'm going to read this verbatim. Sorry, Graham. I don't think that this is like anything personal. So whatever. Um, but he says, uh, or they say, excuse me. Um, imagine if you took the mutant metaphor of the X-Men and put it into a sci-fi Western universe where we follow bounty hunters traveling through throughout the galaxy and back in time hunting targets and imagine it's written with the same style and humor most mutants don't have powers like x-men but things like foot growing feet growing out of their head as judge dread that's strontium dog wagner grant and Escada other great 2000 AD characters, and it's almost just as good as Dread. It's filled with great action, brilliant plot hooks, hilarious characters, great villains, and unlike Dread, a hero you don't feel bad rooting for. It's also in the same universe as Dread, but in Dread's quote possible future, they've met a they've excuse me they've met a couple times, which is always fun. I love it because Wagner and Grant are just masters of hooking you with a simple plot, layering it with humor and absurdity, and or cutting social commentary and finishing it with brilliant action scenes drawn by the master Carlos Esquera. An absolute classic. I will say the pitch is good, right? Like right off the gate, you know, we've got John Wagner, Alan Grant, Carlos Esqueda, like that's amazing. Then the pitch is kind of cool because it's like bounty hunters and it's like Judge Dredd, but you can actually root for the main character. Like that's really cool. But I read 40 pages or so of this last night um, just to get a head, you know, head start to make sure that I was making a good choice here. And boy, oh boy, is this book fun. Like it's eight pages of pulpy Western sci-fi without a care in the world about explaining anything other than what's actually happening and it's it's like every time something weird happens there's a mutant explanation for it and it's got that thing that i think works only in super short form comment where comments comics where you don't really have to explain anything things can just kind of happen and you as the reader just roll with it because you know that this is a super short story and yeah i'm really excited to get back to this like there's 388 pages in the first case files or the first collection i don't remember what they called it exactly and it's 
I'm really excited. Like the artwork in this is unbelievably good. It's it's again, it comes back to that thing we've talked about when we talked about Judge Dredd in, in 2000 AD in general. I can't believe the quality of comic art that we get that's coming out on like a weekly basis yeah. from these creators, right? And we 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 are super impressed every week when this happens in Shonen Jump and a lot of other manga titles. But man, oh man, the detail in this book alone, it's very reminiscent of some of the Judge Dredd stuff that I read that just floored me. And so I'm very, I'm very excited to dig into this. Um, so and as I said last week on the show, I'm taking any and all recommendations via the IRCB email. That's ircbpodcast at gmail.com. And you can send me any recommendations. Give me a reason. Give me one. Give me many. But just know that I'll be giving honest reviews of anything. So if I don't like something, I'm going to tell you. Um, anyway, so the, the runner up here for this week, though, I will say before I round out, before we jump into the second half of the show, uh, Immortal Sergeant number one is also coming out this week from Joe Kelly and Ken Nimura, the same team who brought us uh, I Kill Giants. I'm very excited to see what they have next um that's going to be cool but anyways uh strontium dog what a blast um let's take a quick break though let's and when we come back we're going to talk about our goodreads book of the month comic book it's very 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 good nuclear winter volume one we'll be back in just a second One day while combing the beach, Amber and Alana discovered a pair of beautiful medallions. What happened next changed their lives forever. The Santo Sisters comic book will have you laughing from cover to cover as they fight crime, date dumb dudes, and just deal with everyday life as young women in the world. The Santo Sister is printed in Buffalo Grove, Illinois with a four-color web press, a decadent newsprint just like your dad's comic books. The style of the Santo Sisters is similar to an old Archie comic, but with a modern vibe that resonates with today's audience. The Comics Journal loved the first issue, calling it a highly entertaining comic, and Paul Jaisley of the I Read Comic Book podcast said, I enjoyed the hell out of it. The Santo Sisters is available now, and don't miss out. Ask your favorite comic book retailer to add it to your pull list today, or find it online at santosisters.com. For our show this week, we are talking about the Goodreads Book of the Month as picked by our 2022 Reading Challenge winners. I want to say thank you to everyone out there who participated in the Reading Challenge last year. There was an incredible number of books, an incredible like variety of books. And for those of you that went out there and finished the Reading Challenge, you are the top tier wonderful heroes. We really appreciate you going through everything. We put together a thread on Goodreads and folks voted and discussed and came up with one book that they thought that we should read for this show, and that is Nuclear Winter Volume 1 by Cab. I do want to say moving forward for the Goodreads Book of the Month stuff that we're going to be doing, if you've been paying attention on our Goodreads, you've noticed that we changed the format there. For this year, we're changing the format of how we approach that for the show, but we're going to talk more about that next week on the annual, so I just wanted to give you a heads up there. But anyways, for the format for today's episode... Kate, Nick, and I have all picked three different things we wanted to talk about in this book. So we're going to just bounce around the table and talk about those different points and uh, then wrap things up and hopefully give our, a, a little bit of a rating or what we thought about this book if we want to continue so on and so forth. I ask those questions to wrap things up. So to get started, Kate, could you read the nice little summary that you wrote up for this book? St. John, Montreal is experiencing perpetual winter after an accident at the local nuclear power plant. Feet of snow are dropped every few days during storms that also drop massive ice crystals. The locals exhibit mutations like extra limbs, extra eyes, and non-natural skin and hair colors. 
Flavy works as a courier using a snowmobile to deliver orders from shops to customers. She gets trapped with a local hottie Marco outside during a storm. While they're together, Flavia has to use her superhuman strength to defend a mutant raccoon baby. When she gets Marco back home to his party house, Flavia has a fight with Marco's rude girlfriend who spontaneously develops feathers and bird features. Flavie's hands overheat and start to blister just as a giant ice crystal lands on Bird Girl and ends the fight. The story ends with Flavie, Marco, and Flavie's best friend, Leone, going out to brunch. For the record, full spoilers, uh, Kate gave a very nice summary there of the book, but we are going to be going <laughs> over everything that happened in this volume, so hopefully you've read it by the time you've gotten to this point in the episode. And I guess to get things started, let me talk with my point, my first point here, which is, oh, Canada. Um, not only is this book <laughs> in Canada, but it's snowing even more. That's all I could think of was just like, yikes, because um, all you know, whenever we think about Canada, all we think about is snow. Sorry to our Canadian listeners out there. We know that you're out there. We appreciate you. Um, but boy, this book felt like extra Canadian to me, you know, like some things are in French. There's extra snow. People are eating poutine left and right. Um, I did find it pretty funny that there was a conversation early in the book that was just like, hey, if you come out and have a chat with me, I'll buy you some poutine. And that was like an immediate, okay, let's go do this. <laughs> um, I don't know. I thought that there was some maybe some locale references that maybe I didn't get some little bits and pieces here that were extra Canadian. So maybe they weren't something that I could totally get. And I believe someone said in their notes, this book was translated. Was this book originally in French? The signs are all in French, so I have to imagine that that's the case. Okay, okay. Or maybe, I mean, it is a thing, having having been to Canada a couple of times, um, <laughs> I do know that a lot of things are written in French intentionally because, like, there is two major languages in the country. So, um, yeah, I, I wasn't sure about that, but it did feel extra Canadian. I don't know if you guys got that feeling at all. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, I mean, um, yeah, I guess, uh, Kate, what's, what's your first point then? My first point is maybe kind of a bummer. <laughs> Um, okay, okay. I've read this book uh, before a couple of times, and I remember it as this cute, quirky slice of life, like survivalist story, kind of a mix of genres. But the first few page shows Flavie in what I think is an unhappy romantic relationship, or, or at least an unhappy roommate relationship. And the first yeah. time we meet Marco in the cafe, he also comes off as kind of a jerk. He like agrees with the waiter that Flavie's being rude or something like that. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And then it turns out that, that Marco is dating this person who is also not nice. Um, so either I don't I didn't remember this story very well. And these relationships um, either end or they improve over the course of the next two volumes. Um, or I just completely misremembered the story. <laughs> um, so, like, let's pause the episode and let me go read those books right now. <laughs> That's good. That's um, OK, cool. cool, cool, cool. <laughs> but also, um Maybe like like Flavie being the point of view character for this story, maybe she's just not a reliable narrator. And like considering that this is kind of like um, a mostly like kind of cutesy book, it's it's kind of cool to think that they're using a literary device like an unreliable narrator in this in this cute little story. Sure. Yeah, I, I did notice it's it's weird again. And I think this is you probably should read the rest of the story, Mike, is the answer to this question. <laughs> but um, I was like, what happened to that guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he never comes the, up again. <laughs> he never comes back. You know, um, it's really interesting. I mean, and it's funny. I couldn't tell if they were in a relationship or if they were just roommates in my head i was like that's her brother i don't know why but like the way that they, i think they were written oh, together is weird. that maybe they were brother and sister and I, I don't know i have to read the rest of the series probably but i did find it funny that they were both 
doing something that had to do with like riding a snowmobile or like being out in the in the snow. Um, and maybe that's what everybody does in the nuclear winter future, um, because like this is a point that I'll, I'll probably get to later. But like there is a lot of like questions that as soon as you start to you start to scratch away the surface a little bit, you go, whoa, this is a bit darker than maybe this book's overall appeal or like feeling kind of gives off. Right. Because it does feel like a really cutesy book. But underneath the surface, there's like a lot of complex stuff going on and maybe some stuff we don't want to focus on um, or maybe the author didn't want to focus on like, you know, nuclear fallout and <laughs> things like that. And instead, it kind of gets twisted into kind of this like cutesy. Oh, there's mutant people and some people have powers and some people are growing an extra arm out of their head. Um, it's very reminiscent of the mutants in the uh, strontium dogs that I was reading, but with a cuter design overall. Um, I don't know. Nick, what did you get any feelings like that from this book? Yeah, I mean, that kind of goes a little hand in hand with um, like my first point, which is that you this book is is I, I appreciate the fact that it sort of defies um, sort of like genre and setting expectations. I think um, a lot of slice of life books tend to be set in a fairly conventional contemporary setting. Um, it, you know, something that feels like an episode of friends, everybody lives in the city and, mm -hmm. you know, is, you know, living together in a, in an apartment that they really shouldn't conceivably be able to afford and everybody gets along and, and, um, and that's not to say that there isn't slice of life, uh, that isn't that, but it sort of feels like that's where a lot of it tends to go. Um, and then on the flip side of that, I think most post-apocalyptic narratives tend to end up being basically uh, a la, you know, Mad Max or Fallout, some sort of desert <laughs> wasteland resource war yeah, yeah. over ammo or fuel or food or all three. Um, and so to see something that basically smashes the two together and then basically defies a lot of the typical tropes and stereotypes surrounding the two. I think that that's really interesting. And, and to some people, they would probably say that it's a mashup that really probably shouldn't work. Mm -hmm. As you said, I think that they explore some of the implications of that without getting to, I think the author knows when to get away from the, I guess the hard science or, or whatever, like obviously mm -hmm, if you have mm -hmm. nuclear fallout, um, there's going to be, you know, a lot of re radiation that's discussed somewhat in the book. And then of course you're going to end up with mutations. I think most of them are going to be like terrible and, and just, you know, disfiguring people in, in ways that are not what I would consider, um, you know, resulting in powers or, you know, it's like, uh, it's, it's like if most of the things that whatever, you know, of all of the superhero stories, it's like, Oh, um, what is it? Um, you know, this thing of nuclear waste fell on me and, and now I can, you know, now I can fly. Well, that's yeah. probably not the sort of mutation that would happen in real life, but sure. Um, so I appreciate that this book does take the more, I guess, upbeat route of being like, Oh, people now have powers or extra eyes or, or whatever. So it's interesting to see the author kind of walk that line between like, this is sort of the stuff that would happen following nuclear fallout and then maybe having some fun with it or um, which is a weird thing to say about nuclear fallout. Sure. But, uh, sure. Um, you know, just, just being more imaginative, right. Yeah. About, about the implications. So I, I found that really interesting to sort of have that genre setting mashup 
take place. Um, yeah, yeah. This definitely gets to like my second question here, right? Or my second point, which is, I was trying not to ask too many questions about this book, right? Because again, mm-hmm. like you, you start to scratch away some of the surface, and it get, becomes really grim. And I don't want this to be like the focus of the discussion of the book, right? Because I do think when you when you allow yourself that suspension of disbelief, right? Because that's that's the key here is to take that suspension of disbelief and go, okay, if we don't think about this too hard, like this narrative is actually really fun, right? You take this extreme circumstance that this character's in uh, where there's constant snow and the worry of not being able to navigate and people being cold, but people still needing things. And so courier services being like a huge deal, you know, like Flavi drives around on a snowmobile and she delivers things for people and like, is that still is that not a thing that happens today? Because it 100 percent is right. Like how often are delivery services used nowadays for people, whether that's groceries or just like one off coffees and a donut? You know, um, the fact that Flavia is still working this job where she has to go pick up bagels for someone and then bring them back and then someone being mad. This is what they wanted. Like there's this extreme level of privilege that is still exists in the story, but the way that this story kind of conveys it, it seems that everybody's using this thing to the point where they need swaths of couriers and people doing delivery services because so few people want to go outside of their houses. You know, like years have passed since this nuclear winter has started. And so the world has adapted and only, you know, the, the choice few are able to just stay in their homes all the time, especially if you live in the whatever area they called it, which seemed to be like the fancier side of the, the city. Um, using these these courier services like the norm and there are plenty of people it seems that work in these courier services because of this winter thing um not to mention what her roommate or boyfriend or brother whichever that person was <laughs> you know the snow clearing services which almost seemed pointless because despite the snow clearing services there was snow everywhere on every road <laughs> um so i did try not to dig too deep on this and just try to enjoy the story for what it was on the surface um because otherwise you run into this like oh this book is actually really dark when you start to think about it like this over analyzation of a story that i think is supposed to be as lighthearted as a story like this can like can be um given the the style that it it shows off and um just the the, the overall just like vibe that i got from this book um i don't know were you guys able to suspend that disbelief for for this book yeah i definitely there was a couple of points where like they were putting gas into the snowmobile and i was like can the gas trucks get here but like i did i did Don't i was like book, hang on just stop just read the story <laughs> yeah 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 uh i mean yeah i i think i think what i took away from that is that um there's a surprising amount of um job creation that comes along with nuclear fallout and i think um <laughs> you know I was like, uh, you know, there's there's something there. Um, but yeah, if, if if you start asking about like, well, how is the government operating and is this happening on a national level and, and what's it like in the rest of the world? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, if, if you start picking at that, it, it can be a little bit, um, you know, I think, it, I think it, it can be distracting, but I will say that I think the author does attempt to you know, answer some of those questions and whether it's about you know, how things are still functioning or whether it's about why some of the meteorological um, weather-related um, phenomena is occurring. Mm-hmm. You know, we we have, we find out that uh, Flavi used to, I think she was in school for for meteorology or, mm-hmm. or, or something along those lines. And so the author uses that as a little clever way to 
uh, inject some of those, um, you know, weather phenomena, you know, stuff into the story. Mm -hmm. So um, I I appreciate that, like, the author didn't just put blinders on and just be like, just don't ask any of those things. Like, Mm -hmm. don't, you know, these are just some, you know, people having fun and, you know, just just uh, having a little adversity here and there. Um, maybe a little unconventional adversity, but um, like you know, massive snowflakes. But um, yeah, I I I thought the author did try to actually um address some of that. Yeah. Uh. So. Okay. What was your second point? I really enjoyed the animal designs in this area. Like we only see oh, yeah. the little raccoon, the little like that. We see the little raccoon, but then later we see it's 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 parent and it's a giant raccoon, like truly <laughs> <Yeah>. massive. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but then also at the back of the book, there's some rear matter showing animal designs for other animals, and there's there's like this two headed seagull that looks absolutely unhinged. Um, there's mm-hmm. a, there are these four armed squirrels that look kind of rabid. And so I, um, I know that I've read the the next two volumes, but I don't remember if these we see more of these animals. I definitely hope that we do sure. because they're sure. very very creative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I liked I really liked the the cartoonish design of like everything really like the humans you know, the the regular folks. I mean, like we're fine. Like you know, Flavi it has this mutation, and but so she doesn't actually look, but she doesn't look like some of the other people that have like you know extra an extra mouth or like a you know a cyclops eye or you know like the guy who's sitting outside. There's like a, a homeless guy who's like got this big old beard. He looks like the Scruffleupagus from Sesame Street, right? <laughs> and I I love the way that the the cab was able able to to just create all of these kind of cartoonish fun things that feel very much like a, a Nickelodeon show. If you were to say like, oh, there's there's all these mutants and blah, blah, blah. And if we ignore like the, the ramifications of real life because we've all seen the TV show Chernobyl and we know how awful it is when like nuclear fallout happens. Um, but then you go with this cartoonish idea of like, and then everyone kind of moved on with their lives. Like, right, this bad thing happened and now we all have to live with this, this life. And um you know, like from the animals to the people to the way that people adapted, there was just like this kind of fun, vibrant, cartoonish thing that allowed you to just immerse yourself in this fun world that they had created. Um, and seeing it with the animals and then seeing it with some of the other people um, was was really fun. I thought that was great. Um, Nick, what about you? What's your what's your second point here? Yeah, I think the other thing I want to discuss is um, something you got at a little bit earlier, which is the uh, translation. Um the book doesn't appear to have had a separate person handling it, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. the credits page does credit Carolyn Yates, uh, quote, for Canadian consultation on the English translation. Mm. So, um, and as Mike pointed out, this book is quite Canadian um, or uh, Canadian uh, with an E at the end instead of an A. That was a joke in my notes that really just doesn't translate <laughs> but everyone... Um, I'll just I'll I'll send everyone my notes and you can laugh at that and you, thank yeah you. That was, An- another that plug was for the Patreon good. you know if you're at the five dollar tier or yeah. above you can get access <laughs> to our shit you can pay all this shit I mean it's um, we have raw access to our show notes is all I'm saying yeah yeah so um, raw access that's gross brief um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yes there there's a lot of Canadian stuff in this book which is a little disorienting at times I uh, I learned from this book that um. Whippets uh, aren't actually, uh, or aren't just the recreational abuse of nitrous oxide yep. <laughs> uh, or a dog breed. Um, I, they're also 
uh, was it a, a cookie? All I could think of was It's Always Sunny when Charlie and Mac just do whippets <laughs> and then drive a car into a wall and think that they can jump out of the car before it hits the wall and not get hurt. Uh, yeah, they're cookies, apparently. <laughs> yeah, they're cookies. Also, I learned that um, apparently someone thought it would be cute to extend the um, all-dressed moniker from chips to uh, bagels. And I have to say bagels because if i say it like i normally do which is bagels mm-hmm. someone is going to lose their fucking mind come for so, come for nick yeah, in the comments please. but um d- why are they all dressed bagels it's in everything bagel um, i think that's a new york east coast thing i don't know if they call them everything bagels all over the world really maybe i don't know i think i think this is one of those very special canadian things is my guess I, I think so. I think so. Also, uh, for any of you out there who haven't tried all dressed chips, uh, you should. I know they were uh, selling them in the U.S. for a while. I don't know if they still are, but uh, so good. They're so good. Uh, so get on that. Nick, are you saying that we're going to have another snack episode and it's going to just be me and you eating these all dressed chips? Uh, I mean, it might be. Okay. It, it might be just a big bag of all dressed chips. They're so good. It's like... <laughs> It's like a ketchupy flavor, but it's also it's like a ketchupy plus barbecuey. Uh, well, may, but but then maybe that's why they're called all dress bagels because they use this flavoring on the bagel instead of like an everything bagel, which has like poppy seed and sesame and garlic flakes and all that stuff. Now my mouth is watering because I'm hungry. Apparently, I thought that the I think I it's Mark- they mention the ingredients of an everything bagel. Okay, when discussing the all dressed bagel, and I hate having to keep say bagel because i keep having to think about it as i say it is that what you were gonna say kate i thought that marco's girlfriend at one point was like i wanted to have raisins but not onions or something like that so i feel like it's actually toppings okay so it's an everything bagel all right listen i'm gonna get on the phone with this cab creator and ask them what the (laughs) hell they meant by all (laughs) or you know what if you're if you're from canada send us an email ircbpodcast at gmail.com and let us know what an all dressed bagel is send us a picture maybe mail me some all dressed bagels um and i'll i'll be the decider here okay yeah i'm the i'm the one who decides um yeah so there there's definitely references to that uh there's references to like saint Jean Baptiste Day, which I guess is a holiday that's celebrated by French Canadians. Uh, again, um, I guess my point about all of this is that overall, it sounds like I'm annoyed by it. But actually, <laughs> I I guess this point is one I make consistently. It sounds like I'm annoyed by this, but I actually appreciate that the book wasn't Americanized in terms of setting or language or character names. Uh, and I also like, and this is something you see quite a good amount in 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 other translated books, is that the editorial team or the translator or the writer or a combination is like concerned that even once the book is translated, there are cultural references or, or national references that just won't make sense. And so the book just gets cluttered with all of these little asterisks or editor's notes or little uh, captions off on the side. And it just gets filled with all these little notes and it just gets distracting Mm -hmm. and i actually prefer when a book is maybe there's a note here or there but otherwise like just just google it you know just google it um and 
you know nick i'm gonna, there are I'm things gonna that, find uh, an episode where you definitely said i don't want to have to google things in order to read my I'm comic sure. i know that it yeah. exists i I'm, <laughs> i there are probably multiple that exist mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. um what is human existence if not contradictory uh (laughs) i already talked about how fickle people were at the beginning of the show about about snow in michigan so i think i think we can i think i've already made my point uh in this episode but (laughs) i just like that like just google it it's not hard and i think the bottom line with this uh book is that for the moments and times when you are a little confused or aren't sure what you're dealing with, most of us have the ability to, you know, understand context clues. And mm-hmm. the fact that this is a comic means you also have a visual element that really makes it not that hard to look at something and go, okay, I, I, you know, I get what's going on. Yeah, I, I, despite not knowing all the references, right? Like, I still didn't feel like I wasn't able to follow the story because of that. So I totally agree there. Right. Like, none of these things were plot crucial, right? right? right. Like, none of these things were like, well, if only I knew what happened on St. John Baptiste Day, then the <laughs> yeah. whole book would suddenly, like, the puzzle pieces would fall into place. Right, like, right. no, it's, <laughs> it's, it's nothing like that. Yeah. So. So I yeah I just I just appreciate it being Canadian and on top of that being I think quite French Canadian yeah. uh, in that regard so cool uh, well my my third point was I think something we've already covered like ad nauseum at this point which is you know the darkness behind everything in this book we don't need to get into it because I think it's there if we want to pick at it but I don't think that was the point of this book um, so I guess Kate what was your your third point here with this book I really enjoy the the build up to learning about Flavie's mutation because that starts yeah. really early in the story um like we get hints mm-hmm. of it here and there we see that she's really strong we see that she eats like a lot of food right <laughs> um, something that she's minorly embarrassed about yeah, right yeah she doesn't really want to talk about it um and then that that build up pays off at the end of the book when we have this like this fight at the end um but then we also get the sense that we haven't seen all of it yet like i mentioned that her hands start getting really hot and and start to blister but it gets like it gets stopped like somebody intervenes and like treats her hands so mm-hmm, we get mm-hmm. this we get this sense that there's more to that and right. and luckily we have more to this story to read right can i just say i really appreciate how kate has read all of this multiple times and does a really good job of pretending that she actually <laughs> hasn't read the rest of this book whereas like if it's me i'm like hey maybe this happens in volume two maybe it doesn't and it's like something so so utterly specific that of course it happens right, right. like it's like maybe in volume two he is able to have ice powers yeah um it's like well thanks yeah. though uh no, I I, yeah. I did like the build up. I thought that, you know, it, we have done everything but talk about what happens in this book, which is fine. Um, but I do appreciate that there like there is a slow progression of like her slowly starting to accept her mutant power. And then as as that happens, she starts to slowly accept just overall like who she is and like where she is in the world, I think. Um you know, especially when it comes to dealing with the the hot guy and she has to use her <laughs> hands to touch his face because he's so cold. Like, this is totally something that my wife, Kelly, like she constantly goes like 
goofy over because she loves those moments of just like they shouldn't be together but now they are and it's like oh my gosh you know what i secretly love that stuff too (laughs) um but it's it's it was funny you know the way that they use that element of her mutation to be like oh she has to warm him she has to put her hands on his face or on his hands and like oh they would never have hold held hands otherwise um you know it's it's little cute moments like that that like draw this or make this story like very cutesy and fun at the same time while also handling these oh no now she has to fight this giant monster and she has to pick up a truck and throw it at this guy um because hulk smash um, or flavi <laughs> smash you know um i thought that was fun uh totally i i think that like it it really really works um and and it, like you said Kate, it does pay off in a way that um it is it feels like it's 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 earned and of course the book ends on a nice cliffhanger to see like where's this story going to go um which i thought was really nice too like definitely made me want to read the second volume and i think someone in the discord was asking about like how long this series was and it's only a couple of volumes right yeah and all the books are are pretty short like they could be collected into one slightly larger volume Mm -hmm. but yeah this this is kind of one of those perfect examples i think of, of something we've talked about on the show many times of like what's better a six issue single series or six issue miniseries or like a graphic novel or like a series of graphic novels you know and i think ed brubaker and sean phillips's reckless is an example of graphic novels that can work but of course that only works because they're established creators i think whereas this book you know by cab maybe not a hugely success or hugely like known creator but nonetheless if you put this book in my hands i want to read the next two or three volumes and i'd be happy to wait for another volume rather than waiting for 24 pages i'd rather get 100 pages at a time and kind of like push this book out you know every every couple of months which is pretty cool um so yeah um, Nick, I guess what's your what's your last point here to to wrap this episode up? Yeah, I think I think for me, just generally speaking, that's something we've kind of already gotten at a little bit. Just I really do appreciate the ambitious world building here, um, and something Kate sort of got at a little bit is that um, there is just a ridiculously huge um, behind the scenes section in the back. Um, there's so much concept art. Um, just an insane amount of concept art and, and, um, yeah, there's just a lot to look at. And I think it sort of gets at the fact that this book is just so detail oriented. Like as I was reading the book, I was really, um, surprised, especially considering how dense some of the art, the art was, especially even for a, like a more cartoony style that all of the characters do look distinctively different. Um, Mm -hmm. even the extras in the background, um, you know, even like the three or four like characters that are at the party at Marco's house, like everybody looks really distinctively different from one another. Um, you're not dealing with issues of like same face or, or, or whatnot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And again, it's a stereotype, but I think for more slice of life books for less like intense and like realistic books, um, I think. I think people expect a looser, less detailed art style. Um, and I think this book is just, there's a lot to pick up on from context clues or, 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 or signs in the back, you know, background yeah. or, you know, I caught myself like reading a lot of the street signs or, or shop signs yeah. or looking at some of like the little creatures in, in, you know, in the nature scenes or whatever. There's just a lot to pick up on and, there's just a lot of care that went into that, that sometimes when you look at pieces of work that exist in these genres, it's just, there's not as much there. 
And I think just some of that is just the fact that given the setting, you needed some world building. So, yeah. Uh, well, I guess t- to wrap things up here, I did have like a couple small things that I wanted to call out, just like little bits. Um, I did love that Flavi called her snowmobile a ski a couple times. <laughs> like it's not, but it also is. And I love that. I thought that was cute. Um, <laughs> I hated that even in a dystopian future that there are hipsters somehow. <laughs> Like right. parties where people are overly pretentious and uh, somebody's getting tired of them. Um, and the giant snowflakes like Flavi at one point, yes. she's like, oh, no, this this storm is about to like maximize or whatever she said or get hit critical mass. And she dives under a, a house with uh, the love interest. And then all of a sudden, these massive snowflakes fall to the ground made out of ice. Um, I thought that was a fun little thing. Like it's dangerous, but it's also super cute. And it happens a couple times in the in the volumes. And I thought that was pretty cool. So, yeah, I don't know if you guys had any little odds or ends or anything that you wanted to call out. But um, I thought those were cute little moments. I'm seeing shaking heads. So I think that's where we're going to wrap up the episode. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I appreciate you guys you guys reading this book, Nuclear Winter Volume 1. It was a lot of fun. Um, thank you to the folks again on Goodreads for picking this book as the book that we're going to read. Uh, we're going to talk more, I think, next week, like I said, about the how we're going to be handling Goodreads books of the month and themes and stuff like that moving forward. So look forward to checking that out. That is January 22nd at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard. Make sure that you can get there. Join us on YouTube. Join us on Twitch. We're not going to be broadcasting this on Discord, so you got to be there to listen to the episode and watch and see our beautiful faces. It's going to be me and Paul and Kate and Danny. It's going to be a blast. I'm really, really looking forward to it. Um, so, uh, yeah, I guess like there's going to be a, a ton of other stuff that's happening too that during the episode or some stuff. We'll see. Uh, make sure to send us an email at ircbpodcast at gmail.com to tell us your, your favorite comics that you read last year. Anything you want to send us, comments, questions, we will answer them. We will get to it. It's going to be fun. And as always, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Discord, and Goodreads. Uh, all the show, li- all those links are going to be in the show notes. And I want to say shout out to Renee and Danny and Kate for kicking ass on our TikTok and Instagram and YouTube recently. We've been trying to post a lot more stuff there. So make sure you follow us on those channels to get all of our comic hauls and comic reviews that we're doing that aren't on the show. Um, we've been posting all that stuff on, on those channels. Uh, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music. Xander flies across the barrier of space and time seeking a bright new dong i think i said that last week but i didn't write a new update and so he's still doing that he's still trying to find a bright new dong um thank you to nick and kate for joining me on this episode thank you to everyone in discord for hanging out with us today if you got this far in the episode thank you to you the dear listener you are what makes this show possible and we thank you so much and until next time comics are good and so are you